Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Carrier. Turn to the experts. Jerry, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. How can I help you? Hey, thanks for taking my call. I've got a question for you. I have an aluminum tool shed in the backyard. It's about a 12 by 12, and it's about uh, six or eight years old. And the outside roof top is starting to get a bunch of rust on it. I'm wondering, is, is there a way I can treat that to extend the life of that tool shed? I mean, do I put some Rust-Oleum on it, or would you some rubber product, or what would you ex- recommend for the roof on that? Well, if it's starting to rust, I would clean the rust off. Put a rust inhibitor. They make a, a products now. You, you know, it used to be you just put a primer on there to seal it, but they actually make products now that will change that rust into a more solid. Okay. Then you can go ahead and paint it with like a rust-oleum or something to seal it and and uh, keep the water off of it, and that'll just delay that rust for years. Okay, is that something I buy at the local uh, hardware store? Uh, go take a look or at uh, Ace Hardware. Hardware. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm not. I don't. I have not seen it at the box stores, but uh, at your hardware stores like Ace and Elliott's and True Value, places like that, they'll have it. Okay. All right. Excellent. Answer the question. I appreciate your help. You bet, Jerry. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. Linda, welcome to WBAP. Hi, Jim. Um, I was recently discussing something with my son. He said, "Ah, oh, mother, ah, oh, you know, talk to me before you start spending money on something." And it's been worrying me. I thought, ah, oh, Jim Dutton, that's who I'll ask. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm like, oh, uh, my garage door faces the west side. And I suspect, I don't know for a fact, but I don't think the builder sprayed insulation over the garage itself in the attic. He may have, but I don't know. It gets so hot. Insulation does not work in an unair conditioned space. Oh. And so you you when you you said that the builder you know didn't put insulation above there, or in the walls, you're hundred percent correct. They never do because you only insulate air conditioned space. Insulation doesn't do any good when it's not keeping hot air and cold air from meeting each other. What um, you need is a what you need is a good radiant barrier there. So and, what is the radiant barrier? I know I've I've heard you discuss it, but I yeah. I don't know what is that a well, paint. No, well, they do make radiant barrier paints, but uh, and and quite frankly, the way radiant barrier paints got first uh, developed was actually for military use in their metal vehicles and tanks and uh, armored personnel carriers and things like that to help keep some of the heat from coming in. So that is one option is to get that uh, radiant barrier paint and paint those metal door panels. What I typically recommend to people, though, is just go down to your local box store, like Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever. They Uh sell a radiant barrier that comes in a roll that looks like bubble wrap. It's got the bubbles on it, and it's got silver on one side of it. And on those metal doors, you know, where where that made that curve where the two panels will come together, there's typically Uh a little lip there. And you can use a sheet metal screw to literally screw in the uh, into those lips to hold that bubble wrap type radiant barrier in place, uh-huh. and that will stop that heat transfer because you got the dead air space between the door panels then and the bubble wrap, and you've got the 
um, you know, the material stopping the heat from transferring into the garage. And to go a step further, is there a second story in the house? No, there ain't. Okay. Get some radiant barrier and put in the attic uh, above the garage, and mm-hmm. you will literally drop the temperature in that garage 15 degrees. Okay. Because right, it, it, so it basically makes it like you're under a big shade tree. Do you have to cut it? Well, I'm sure you would. You're not going to be able to get You would, but you can just use a, a, a box cutter to cut it. Okay. Uh, and this is something I could do with my by myself or maybe get my Oh, brother. no, you can, you got to get that know-it-all son of yours to come over and do it. <laughs> okay. I'll say, hey, <laughs> I got you now. Okay, yeah. so, uh, uh, Jim, I've called before and I've always told you I love your show. It's so helpful. It's so informative. And this has just really eaten at me because I thought, darn it, I'd like to be out there and be doing something from time to time. And then this past week, I thought, oh, I'll see if I can get into Jim Dutton's show and ask him. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll you'll uh, find that putting that uh, just that radiant barrier bubble wrap over that door is really, uh-huh. you know, because that door becomes just a, it's like a hot plate coming into there. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really going to make a big difference for you. Okay, I appreciate it. And have a good weekend. Thank you, you as for well. your information. Take care, Linda. Bye. Bye-bye. Todd, how can I help you today? Hey, Jim, how are you doing, sir? Just fine. How about you? Doing great. Hey, so I've got a foundation issue that's been just driving me a little bit insane for the last few years. I bought a house three years ago. It was built in 1984. Uh, sits on sandy loam soil. And they had foundation work done before I purchased the house. I had a structural engineer come out, took a look at it, gave it a thumbs up. But I cannot get that foundation to stop moving. You know, when it rains, it's great. Everything closes up. When it's dry, everything cracks back open again. I can put quarters through the cracks. And I've put gutters on this house. I have uh, done the watering around the foundation, and I still cannot get it to stop moving. Can't get that gap between the soil and the house to close back up. Uh, Where's the house located? What part of town? It's uh, southeast, around Coffin, between Coffin and Ennis. Okay. Well, if you got a lot of sandy soil there, that's because you're in an area with a where there's a sand pit or something, because a lot of the soils in that area is the black gumbo clay soil. Now, it's possible that the sand is on the surface and you got black gumbo clay underneath it, which is extremely expansive. Uh, do you know what type of repair they did? They put 19 piers around the perimeter. And I don't you know, know what kind of piers. I'm assuming they're concrete piers. Okay. Okay. Uh, one of the problems, if they use the precast concrete pile where they drive them in the ground with hydraulics, me and my family, we actually developed the installation process of those back in the early 80s. One of the problems with that type of underpinning is the person doing it can shortcut it. In other words, it's it's a friction pile that's being driven in the ground using the weight of the structure as resistance, and if you stop short, you can pick the house up and level it. It's just not going to stay there. It's not deep enough. It's got to be, when piles are being driven, they've got to be driven to refusal. And, it, and it's an old pile driver's trick that if they're driving piles, are going way deeper than they want them to go, that you start driving it, you break for lunch, 
you come back, now the soils have seized up on that pile and you can't get it to go deeper. And if they shortcut it on the depth, you're going to have the type of situation you got where it continues to move up and down. The other thing that some contractors make a mistake on is after leveling, they'll fill that void and they put the house right back on the moving soil. So if it was leveled during a real dry period, which it sounds like yours was, I'm sure and, it was. They, and they fill that void with mud pumping or urethane after leveling, every time it rains and the soil expands, it picks the house up off of the piers. And so it's still continuing to move up and down. When you level a structure, that void should be left there to allow the soils to expand and contract without moving the structure again. So there, there's two issues that could be causing the problem that you're having. Um, how much movement do you get when it rains, you know, when it rains and stops raining and such? Doors will start sticking, and like I said, the cracks open back up again, and one in particular, I can literally put a quarter through it. Yeah. So, it's significant. Significant enough to where I can't put the flooring that I want down the house, because I know it'll start cracking up once I do. Yeah. I'll tell you what, why don't you have my son come out and take a look at it? Uh, he is okay. an engineer, and okay. he he is extremely good. I've I've taught him well uh, at at looking at foundations, and you know. And if he's not available, I can come take a look at it as well. But um, honestly, he does a very good job of looking at stuff. And if you'll call the office for Due West at nine seven two four zero six. 0912. Tell him I said to send Johan out on it. Send who out? Johan. It's J O H A N N. Okay. And the office is open on Saturdays till 4 o'clock if you want to call today or you can wait till Monday, whatever. But um, have him come take a look at it. He can probably give you some tips because there's some other things that could be causing it as well. But uh, the two that I just talked about are the primary reasons why foundations tend to move after underpinning. Okay. All right. I'll give them a call. Thank you. All righty. You bet. Take care. Let's talk with Harold. How are you today, Harold? Oh, I'm all right there. Uh, uh, I have a question. You were just talking about the Pure and Bain house with the buckling floor. Yeah. Okay. I've got a house that's about 60 years old. It's got hardwood floors. It's on Pure and Bain. And in one room this summer, the floor buckled at one place in the middle of the room, and one of the hardwood floor uh, boards stuck up st almost straight up in the air. And it put, it, the other boards evidently swelled and yep. pushed that one board straight up. It didn't, it didn't warp it. It just pushed it straight up. Yep. And uh, uh, we had all that rain this summer. None of the other rooms were affected, and uh, underneath the house, it was bone dry. And I'm just wondering what you would say caused that. Well, normally, uh, what causes that is as the wood expands, mm -hmm. you, there's normally a gap around the outer edge to allow the wood floors to expand and then contract mm -hmm. back again. If mm -hmm. something got down into that gap that wasn't there before, and that floor started to expand with all the rain, <clears throat> it could have popped that middle board up that way. 
Yeah. It just puts too much pressure on it. This board was about eight foot long, and like and uh, uh, it, it completely pushed it up. And this is the first time in uh, in a sixty year old house. Yeah. That, mm. Yeah. It has to it, it because of the age of it, and that's the same floor that's been down the whole time, correct? Correct. And underneath the house, I mean, uh, is completely dry. Yep. Uh, I, it happened back in uh, probably July, and we, we had all that rain. Yeah. I wasn't able to get in the house until recently, and uh, like I said, it's bone dry under there. Now, and, uh, has air conditioning been on, so it's been dehumidified the whole time? Air conditioning all the time, yeah. Okay gotta be that something got down you know behind like the uh, trim boards around the edge that acted mm-hmm. as a wedge and didn't allow that bo- uh, wood to expand like it needed to and I hate to do it to you but I gotta take a quick break we'll be back with more Texas Home Improvement now when we left we were talking about wood floors and you know the, the reason I'm making the assumption that something got down behind the trim boards that floor's been there for years he said it was a 60-year-old house, same floor that's been in there for years. Something had to change for that house floor to expand like that. And it's going to be more than just the moisture change because that house would have gone through moisture changes many times over before this, and it would have done it prior to having air conditioning. So in order for there to get enough pressure to pop the board up in the middle that way, there had to be a change that took place and that's why I'm betting it's going to be that something got down b- between the wall and the floor itself and didn't allow it to expand like it used to do anyways that's why I would check there first 7-4 let's talk with Bill this is Jim how can I help you uh, yes this is Phil uh, yes, sir. I'm over over here in Nederland my son-in-law and daughter just bought their first home and uh, as soon as they got in it, the kids started using their bathroom, the toilet backed up. So um, I went out back and I found, you know, found where the cleanouts were, and we started running the cleanout. Uh, we ran a snake from outside, the one-inch metal uh, snake, through the outside. We went up through the vent and did it that way. Uh, we run water through and watched water run, but there's something about halfway between the two bedrooms. Uh, that's that it's catching on and we can't get through it we've had a plumber out there with a uh, one of the electric snakes that twirls and everything is there a product or something we can do that to help eat that out um, because it was an older couple that lived there with three bathrooms and they're really only using one so i'm figuring that probably stool or something has just gotten hard and settled in there is there something that will eat that away no Normally, you have to, to use a snake to get it out of there. How old a house is it? Um, it was built in the mid-70s. Okay, so it should have PVC plumbing under it. Uh, because my initial thought is maybe some tree roots got into it, which is just, you know, more than a lot of times the snake will be capable of chewing through if it's been there long enough. I think what right. you're going to end up doing is actually having a camera run up through that pipe. Okay. And seeing what is the blockage. Okay. Then you can figure out what's got to be done in order to get through it. All right. Well, so far I've owned all the products because I did construction 22 years yeah. um, in Dallas, um, but I don't own a, uh, a camera, so we'll probably have to get a plumbing company out then. Yeah, more than likely you'll have to get I mean, you can rent cameras as well if you want to try to do it yourself, but they can be a little tricky to operate and maneuver to where you want it. 
Okay. All right. Well, we'll call upon him, Company God. I just thought, well, I love listening to your show, so I thought I'd give you a call and see what I could find out. Yep. Sorry about well, that, that. That's all right. Thank you very much, Jim. I appreciate it. You bet. Take care. Talk with Tom and Spring. How are you today, Tom? I'm good, Jim. How are you? Doing wonderful. I've got a conundrum. Uh, my son, I have an electric lawnmower, and my son uh, ran over the cord, and it, it uh, blew the circuit or all the outside plugs. Now, I have that, – is that a GFI circuit? It should be. Okay. How, well, how old a house is it? Uh, probably three or four years. Yeah, definitely, then. It's going to be a GFI circuit. Well, uh, my experience with the GFI, you know, would say 10 – 12 years ago was that one of the plugs had a, a reset button. Correct. On it. Yes. I don't find any reset buttons on um, any of the outdoor outlets, but I do see a reset button on the on the breaker. Yep. Uh, they have gone to on some of the outside ones where they're using a breaker instead of the reset button. The reset button is still used like in the kitchen. Okay. But uh yeah, try resetting that one on the the breaker in the ha- in the uh, breaker panel. Right. Uh, you may want to shut the breaker off, reset it, and then turn the breaker back on. Okay, because I've I've reset all of the breakers. Um, I haven't done the, the steps. Um, I don't know that I did the steps of what you just said by turning it off, resetting it, and then turning it back on. Um, I probably just tried to reset it as it was already in the on position yeah but also normally the breakers will show as orange or red um you know when it's been tripped and uh i don't know that we ever saw that well and you don't always uh they'll they can sometimes trip and that that orange or red is really only if the lever flipped over they can flip you know be tripped and not have that lever flip over because that's right. more of a mechanical than it is electronic. Uh, and so it's it's pretty common that it, it'll look like it's on still, but it it's, it actually has tripped. Well, when it, when the brake, when the, when the circuit got tripped, it also affected the garage door, the power to the garage door opener. Okay. So those, those all be on, I would thought, would have thought they'd be on a different uh, circuit. Well, Unfortunately, a lot of times what they do is anything, everything in the garage and all outside circuits are on one GFI. Okay. And so, and it becomes a problem because if you start using your garage as, as your workshop or something, you don't have the power to be running everything. So it can become an issue, but uh, yeah, that's not uncommon for that garage door opener to be plugged into that same circuit. All right, well, I will... Uh turn that circuit off and re- try the reset. Now, if, if that doesn't work, what what would the problem be? Well, then the problem could be when he popped it that uh, one of the wires fried somewhere. and uh, Or, and this is not common, but there's always a chance that they have another GFI circuit in there somewhere, and it would be in the garage or utility room if there was. And it would be a, an outlet with a push-button reset? Correct. Okay. Shouldn't be, but there might be. Is it possible the breaker is bad? Yes. 
but that would be that would be the least likely. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate your information, and I will uh, look into it. Thank you. All righty. Next is Joel. This is Jim. Welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hey, Jim. How's it going? You, you're too bad you're not outside today having your uh, your meeting here. So yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I'll get right to it. Uh, I'm in the construction business, and I uh, have several buddies that are. And we've, we've run this question between ourselves for years, and we still don't really have a direct answer that we feel good. But basically, when we are dealing with homeowners that uh, have a house pre-1970, we always are telling them about the lead situation and in, in, in the materials that the house was built with, whether it be siding or the paint or any of those situations. Right. And the problem is, is that um, we normally, or at least my county, we turn, we don't do those jobs just because of the hassle factor. By the time we mark up the job to do all the abatement situation and all like that, all the certification it just runs up the cost, and people look at us and go, why am I paying all that? And we try to tell them, da-da-da-da-da. What we found, though, is when we read the fine print, if a homeowner does the job himself on his house, he's kind of, in a roundabout way, absolved of having to meet all those standards. That is correct. And we've, we've had this discussion, well, like, well, why are they penalizing the contractors and not the homeowners if if the work needs to be done anyway and it's being modified to make your house better. And and we just don't we don't know what to tell the homeowner when it comes up to that. And I didn't know if you had any thoughts or what the idea was or the thought behind why they are kind of absolved if they do the work themselves. Well you're asking for common sense out of the federal <laughs> government. What what kind what 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 is your problem? I mean well, it, if that's what we're talking about, then I guess the discussion is over, right? <laughs> I mean, have you not seen who's running for president this year? Come on now, let's not get political. <laughs> but really, that that is the problem, is the federal government does not look at things with common sense. Uh, they Somehow they got it in their heads that if the homeowner does it themselves... Um, they don't need to worry about those items. And and quite frankly, in our marketplace, the number of places that have lead in it is very little. Uh, I did I actually went and through and did some searching on this when when all this lead stuff came out because originally they were saying, oh, it would only add thirty five dollars per job. And when I started running numbers on it, I came up with thirty five hundred dollars per job. Well, after all this broke loose, it is up around 3500 that it adds to the job. By the time you do the proper testing that they require uh, and get all the certifications and all this stuff, and that's just to find out if it even has lead in it. Right. Which is ridiculous. Right. Uh, there are parts of the country, like if you go to Chicago, for instance, the homes that, that were built there, they have lead in them. It is a very common problem up there. Down in our neck of the woods, though, the percentage of homes that actually have lead in the paint and such, because the different paints for different parts of the country used to be more regionalized, so it was put together different than it is nowadays. You know, now now we're used to, there's one factory and, and it's shipped all over the country. It used to be we built our stuff in the different areas of the country. In this part of the, the country, 
it's less than 15 percent. I think I think that's what it was 15 or 25 percent, something like that, of the homes actually have lead in the paint. Right. The rest of the building products wasn't really even an issue. It's just the paint that we're checking on. Uh, and if it has lead, then they want it to be treated as though it's asbestos or something. And oh, we've, I know. Gone, we've gone off the deep end. It is totally ridiculous what they got us doing. Yeah, and, and it scares the craziness the out of yeah. you as far as what they're saying, $30,000 a day fine. And it's just like, are you even kidding me? Like, really? Oh, it's crazy. And so uh, I, I can't tell you how many jobs over the last few years that we've just walked away from because once I tell the homeowner that and they go, well, we just, well, you know, do you know of anybody? I said, well, look in the Yellow Pages, call the, uh, the, the big-time guys who have all the certification and just be ready to hold on to your pocketbook because they're, yep. they'll, they'll charge you twice as much as what the, your job should be running. Just well, and, and realistically, what they're ending up doing is going with bootleg contractors who don't even pull a permit for the job right. because it becomes so cost prohibitive to do anything. And, right. and just for everybody listening, I think it's, what is it, 1973 or earlier are the homes that have to be tested? Uh, uh, no, it's uh, 70, I think, 1970. Yeah, it wasn't that early. It, I, I thought it was 73, it, and it may be, but uh, yeah. nonetheless... It, it is it is a something in my opinion that has just gone way off track from what it should have been, and I hate to do it too, Joel, but I got to take a break for news, traffic, and weather. You know, uh, I was talking with my wife this morning. We were sitting on our back uh, porch looking out, and she was saying it was time to redo the deck again. And I actually had an email that came in that was addressing that same question. It almost seems like she sent it to me, but I know better. But I have. A deck that needs to be reconditioned and possibly a few boards replaced. Some are warped, the wood is quite dry, and some boards have cracks and are peeling. Looking to give it all the TLC it needs. Uh, can can you instruct me on how to take care of it? It is a tri-level deck. Thanks. Okay. Decks are relatively easy to take care of. You know, uh, the first question my wife had was, can we bring the pressure washer home? And you absolutely can pressure wash them. you got to be careful you don't get too high a pressure, or if you do use a high-pressure one, that you don't get too close because a pressure washer will start gouging the boards, especially as they get older like this. And what will happen is it starts just peeling up and uh, making the board where it's no longer smooth. So... Typically, what I recommend, instead of uh, hitting it hard with a pressure washer, is get some uh, deck cleaner, deck and fence cleaner. Um, if you go to Lowe's, you can use the Olympic brand. I've used it several times, and it does very well. Uh, and it clean you just spread it on there, let it sit, and you can either scrub it if need be, you know, if it's really bad. But basically, that'll bring the wood back up to looking nice, gets all any loose stuff off, and uh, freshens it up to look new again. Hose it off. If you want to use a pressure washer, use it lightly. Don't gouge the wood. Let it dry completely, and then you can put a stain and sealer back on the deck, and you're good for, for you know several years again. If, if the cracks, you know, if it's too dry where the cracks have really opened up, you've been seeing some of these paints that are made for decks 
where it covers up all those cracks and everything, you can absolutely use that. You will you lose the ability to have it looking like uh, natural wood any longer, but it definitely will fill up those gaps and buy you a lot of years on those boards before you got to replace them. So if you do it more often, you can use just a stain and sealer, and that can be applied with a roller, a brush, or even a sprayer if you want, and it's, it's very easy to take care of. So that's typically what I recommend. Gun email. Hey, Jim, I'm looking at several possibilities for reducing the summer heat and the winter cold in my attic. I'm doing this because I would like to store items in this space without cooking them. My HVAC system is located in the attic, and I'm looking for energy efficiency gains because it's in a better, more temperature-stable environment. Okay, so he, go, he goes through several things. I'm going to start and kind of do these one question at a time. But basically, let me debunk that for you. AC systems were designed to be in the hot attic. It does not know the difference if the attic is 25 degrees cooler or not. So, you know, everybody who's always worried about, oh, let's put it in the attic where it's going to operate more efficiently, it's not. The outside unit is where the cool air comes from. The inside unit just disperses, cool, it goes over the coils to cool the air and then disperses it out amongst the house. So, I would say no, let's just uh, not worry about the attic temperature. That, that is a myth that we need to debunk here. Now going back to our email question where he's wanting to lower the temperature in his attic because he wants to one, make his HVHC system work better, but two, he wants to store stuff up there. So we already did away with making the HVAC system work better that way. But let's get into some of his thoughts on how to make this happen. My first thought was to spray foam the backs, on the back side of my roof close off my vents and remove the attic fans. My concern with this idea is the issue of moisture that might permeate through the ceiling of my single story ranch home. I'm looking to see what your thoughts are to do this because I don't want to create a mold problem. The other thought I had was to install a radiant barrier. I'm thinking of installing a breathable radiant barrier over the existing blown in insulation. Okay, let's start with the foam. Don't do it. Well, that's a short and sweet answer, but the, the reason I say don't do it, one, the house has to breathe. Okay, you've got the walls and the, everything that still aren't foam, so it is still breathable, but unless you're going to heat and cool the attic, spraying the foam up there is not going to do any good. So by spraying the foam, you're now opening the living space up into the attic to heat and cool it in order to maintain humidity control, temperature control, and all that. You are far better off to take your second choice and install the radiant barrier. Again, your AC unit doesn't care what the temperature is up in that attic. I personally use a breathable radiant barrier on my attic floor. I use the Energy Q radiant barrier. It's down on my attic floor over the three, four inches of insulation that I have in the attic. Yeah, you heard me, three or four inches. And that's in the two-thirds of the attic that does have insulation. About a third of my attic doesn't even have insulation in it. All I have is that radiant barrier. My electric bill for a 3,000-square-foot house runs about $200 a month. 
you're not going to get any better than that by putting all that foam up there and stuff like that. Now, I do recommend putting foam in the walls because it'll encapsulate any existing insulation, seal the air gaps and all that, and that way the house can still breathe through the attic, but you sealed where, where wind can come in and all that. Okay, once I put the barrier down, I would install 7 sixteenths plywood deck that will be walked on for my storage. I would also install a barrier on the back side of the roof rafters. If I go this route, will it reduce the heat in the summer so my storage items don't cook and in the winter cold for efficiency gains of the HVAC? Again, no, it's not going to help with the HVAC. By putting the radiant barrier on the roof rafters, it would help with the attic temperature for storing stuff a little bit. Uh, typically, it's going to help in the range of 10 to 15 degrees. So it's not a huge savings. The reason it does so much when it's on the attic floor is you got the attic heat and you've got the air conditioned space and the radiant barrier is between the two. Uh, and what a radiant barrier does is just basically stops the heat transfer. So that's what I would take a look at doing if it was my home. Anyways, 214-787-1080. Carol, how can I help you? Hi, I have a question about uh, redoing things just before you get ready to sell a home. Uh, I have some light fixtures and some faucets to update my bathroom that I was going to put in, but now I'm debating whether I should just leave them as they are and set the price for the home at that or whether I should go ahead and update it a little bit, which which is more cost-effective or more um, a, a buyer might like that update better that make the house sell faster well and that's that you just said the last thing you said was the key uh the updates will typically help the house sell a little faster it has been let's face it a seller's market now for the last couple years and we are slowly making a transition where things are evening out so when buyers are out looking if they got one house that's got all the updates done and another house where not everything is done they're going to tend to look at the one with everything done a little bit harder than they would the other house, unless it's priced better for the sale. Uh, on the other hand, though, when it comes to paints, carpet, things like that, keep it neutral. Uh, if you go with, and I'm just going to use uh, red paint walls, for instance. You know, some homes will, will paint accent walls bright red and things to, to set a house off. You may love it. The next people may hate it. Nobody ever complains about neutral walls, though. So that's the reason I say it that way. But, you know, when it comes to faucets and stuff, what are, what are, what's wrong with the old ones? Well, they, they drip a little, and they certainly look a little dated and worn. And these new ones are going to be, uh, will look new, and it kind of gives the idea that you've taken care of the house yes. along the way to update it a little bit and have it clean and new looking but yep. um, trying like you say try not to go overboard but i just was trying to justify whether to do anything and just price the house at a much lower rate or to have a workman come in and do all this stuff it's not i don't i no longer live in the town where the house is so it's a little bit of a hassle to have it worked on gotcha well 
if the faucets are dripping and stuff, I would say that has to be addressed because it's going to mess up the faucet, the uh, sinks if you leave it dripping. Um, so I would definitely say yes in that case because it's not that much. I would go ahead and have that done, and you can have a plumber come in and and make that those changes for not a whole lot of money. They can change out faucets relatively quick. Uh, would I get into replacement windows and uh, you know maybe adding windows to the house or something like that? Absolutely not, because you won't get enough to justify what you would spend on it. Small items like faucets and that. Go ahead. All right. Good to know. Thank you. Carol, take care. Good luck with that sale. 214-787-1080. That's 214-787-1080. Mike, this is Jim. How can I help you? Yeah, how you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you? Doing pretty good. I got a question about a building a front porch onto the house. Yeah. It's 12 by 20, and I'll put in about uh, five, six by six posts. Okay. Should they be down in the concrete or sitting on top of the concrete, like a footer? Is a Which concrete, you think would be better? Is a concrete already existing? No. Okay. I'm going to build it. Okay. Ooh. If you're going to build it, what I would tend to do is they make a uh, metal bracket that you can put down in the concrete that the post can sit on. Right. And what that does is it keeps the post up off the concrete so that right. it doesn't start rotting. Right. That's moisture. what I was worried about. And so I would put those in the concrete, put my post on top of that, and then trim around that post with a 1x4 to cover up that space on the bottom. Yeah, just cover it up, make it look better. Yep. And that way, over time, the only boards you ever have to worry about replacing may be that 1x4 instead of the whole post. Right. The other question I had was about my air conditioner unit. When I had it serviced for the air conditioner part of it, they said I was growing mold against my condenser and my blower, and he wanted to sell me a $400 ultraviolet light to put in my ductwork. You ever heard of such a thing? I have. I would make him show me the mold growing on the condenser coil, because if it is growing mold on the coil... Right. There's something else wrong. It's an outside unit. Yep. And uh, it's dry around it. You know what I'm saying? It's mm -hmm. There's no moisture in the house. The crawl space, all the ductwork's in the crawl space. The crawl space is real dry with plastic on the floor. I don't... Yeah. I, I Again, I would make them show me the mold because that that's a, a common sales gimmick. Now, do the ultraviolet lights work for uh, killing bacterias and, you know, things that are they're, they're going through the air? Absolutely. Right. But it's not a cure for if you're getting mold on your coils and stuff. They're, what would that be coming from? Uh, the, the, the moisture isn't draining off of them properly. Through the unit itself out onto the ground. Yep. So okay. it tells me that it, it needs some type of servicing. Something's not right on the unit itself if that's happening. Would that be the unit settled to one side and it's not draining like it should to the one side that has the drain on it, where it, the pan is? It, if that's, yes, it, it, it very well could be that. Okay. It could be that even over time, pollen got into it and started plugging up some of the coils, and they just need to be taken out and cleaned. 
I get them cleaned all every you know twice a year. Yeah. As far as the solution and washed out and all that, there they spray it and they they wash it out with a hose and all that good stuff. Is that the same guy who's telling you he wants to put the light in? Mm, I've had the same company with three different guys coming out here, and the okay. last one he's wanted one. They actually uh, do work on commission of what they sell. Yep, and you know the the. The UV lights, now, again, let me preface this by saying, in some cases, the lights are needed for, right. for certain aspects. But in a lot of cases, they're pushing the UV lights because they get a big bonus off that. That's what I was thinking myself. Yeah. And like I said, I don't have any moisture in the house at all. It's, you know, in the crawl space where all the ductwork is real dry, the unit sits outside the house. You know, and it is draining, there is, you know, where the drain is on the air conditioner unit, you know, it, it is draining out onto the ground. Yeah, but if the coils are, are getting any mold on them and stuff, there's a different issue that needs to be addressed, and I would get somebody out to address that issue rather than putting the UV lights in. And, and you know, Advent what? Air does a great job on stuff. You may want to contact them to have them come out. I, I actually say. live in Tennessee. Okay. Well, I would tell I you, I own driver, an AC. I listen to you every Sunday. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, I own an AC company down in Houston, where the humidity levels are just much higher than here in the Dallas area. Right. And I can typically count on one hand how many of the UV lights we even try to sell in a year. Right. I mean, it, it, it's one of those things that. If it's the right customer, yes, they need it for allergies or different things like that. Right. But for what, for the description that you just gave, as far as mold in there, no, that's a, that's a different problem. And the UV light's not going to fix that problem. I figured that the unit's not draining properly out onto the ground, and it's holding moisture into that pan there right there on the other side of the condenser. It kind of sounds that way, because what you have is a setup for a block and base pier and beam type home, almost like mobile homes have, where units are outside and it ducks the, the air in underneath, correct? Well, it's a, it's an old 1947 house, you know, and the duct there you go. was put in underneath the house. It originally had a floor furnace in it. Yep. Yeah, you know, the crawl space is real small, but there's plenty of room for the ductwork that's in there. And like I said, I put plastic down on the ground just to crawl around in there because the ground is so dry that you yeah. get covered with you know, dirt, dust, dust. Yep. Nope. Get somebody else out there to service it. And, 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 and it could be somebody from the same company. But let's let's address the mold issue bef without putting in the UVs. Right, that's what I was thinking. I couldn't see putting a four hundred hour light in there for you know. I never heard of such a thing to start with, but uh, no, they they actually do a very good job. Well, you know, the humidity in Tennessee is the same as it is down here in Texas. It's not quite as bad, but there is a lot of humidity down here. Yeah. But like I said, I don't have a problem with the house being any kind of moisture at all. Yep. Alrighty. Uh, I thank you very much. I appreciate you bet. good to hear from you. Take care. Thanks so You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.